Church, what a privilege to gather together this morning and to now have the opportunity to turn our attention to the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to go ahead and join me in the book of Ephesians. That's where we'll be spending some time today and in the weeks ahead. We, we're stepping back into the book of Ephesians. For those of you who are with us in the spring here at Shades Mountain, we, we walk through Ephesians 1 through 3. And, and beginning today through the end of the fall, we're, we're going to cover the rest of this book, Ephesians four, five, and six, just walking through the word of God, one verse at a time, seeing what the Lord lays before us. And as you're, you're turning your attention to, to Ephesians 4, I do wanna just point out what's in your seat today. And if you've got these beside you, maybe there's a, a stack of them beside you, go ahead and pass them down the row so that everybody can have one of these. This is a prayer guide for our 21 day prayer emphasis that we're stepping into in this season. It will actually begin tomorrow. So what does that mean? Well, you can look through this prayer guide and there's daily prayer prompts. There's some place for you to write some things down, what you're specifically and intentionally praying for either individually or as a family or in your household, however you want to use this. We're encouraging everybody follow along with us in this 21 day prayer focus. But in addition, we will also be gathering starting tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m. for a, a time of prayer as a church for whoever can join us, for whoever is able and willing to get up early and come to a 6.30 prayer time. It'll be in our conference center. We're gonna pray from 6.30 to seven. So we'll get you off to school or to work or wherever you have to go. But Monday through Friday, starting tomorrow for the next three weeks, we're gonna have this morning prayer time and we're gonna be walking through this prayer guide. And just asking God in this season to show us himself in, in ways that we need to see and to do a work in and through our lives that will be for his glory that can only be explained as God is at work among his people here at Shades. And so we're asking you to join us to that end as we pray together as a church. We're gonna be walking through this time as we walk through Ephesians 4. And so I wanna get us started with the first three verses of Ephesians 4 this morning. It has become our custom here at Shades as we read the scripture at the beginning of a message that we stand together for the reading of God's word. So I'd like to invite you, if you're willing, to stand with me as we read from the word of God. And if you're new to Shades and you're wondering, okay, why are we standing again? We just stood to sing. Or if you're joining online and you're like, what are they all doing standing around the room? Well, the reason we do this each week is so that we all can be reminded that the word of God is the foundation for the people of God. It's what we stand upon. The solid rock, immovable, unchangeable, infallible word of God. And it is the word of God that is laid before us in the Holy Scripture that shows us what God says is right and good and true. Why does that matter, church? Because there's a lot of voices telling us what is right and good and true. There are a lot of voices telling us what we should believe in our culture today and, and how we should operate in our culture today. The word of God is our foundation. The word of God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever lays before us what God says is right and good and true. We need to hear what God says. So we look to his word. And this is what we see in Ephesians 4, beginning verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God as he writes this letter 
We pick it up right here at this transitionary point. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's what we're talking about today and in the weeks ahead in Ephesians 4. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling? That sounds a little overwhelming, maybe a little intimidating. What's this all about? Well, the word of God is going to take us there. And the word of God shows us then in verse 2 what it means to live a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. May we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Let's invite God to speak into our lives what he knows we need to see, what he knows we need to hear as we turn our attention to his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. It's a privilege to gather in the name of Jesus. It's a privilege to sing songs that remind us who you are. They invite us to worship the incredible, incredible gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ our Lord. To worship is such a privilege. And Father, what a gift it is to now be able to turn our attention to your word collectively, knowing that as you speak to the church collectively, you're also speaking to those who will listen individually. And so I pray, Lord, in the power of your spirit for open ears and a willingness to listen. I pray for open hearts and a readiness to receive. I pray that you would do a work in our lives through the truth of your word, taking root in us. Thank you for this time. Use it for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing with me. You may be seated. As we step into Ephesians 4 this morning... This really is a continuation of where we left off at the end of the school year back in May. And I realize that's a long way back to remember. I realize many of you may not have even been here. And so I want to do the best I can very quickly to just give us a little synopsis of, of where we were in Ephesians 1 through 3. So that as we step into Ephesians 4, we can understand what is taking place. The first three chapters of this letter to the church in Ephesus, written by the Apostle Paul, the first three chapters of what we call this book of the Bible, Ephesians, are all about the good news of the gospel. If you want to sum it up in, 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 in one statement, what are the first three chapters of Ephesians about? They are about the good news of the gospel. And there are two verses in Ephesians 2 that really serve to, 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 to give an overview of what those first three chapters are all about. I want to read that to you. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Maybe you're familiar with these verses. They're central to the good news of the gospel and the message of salvation. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
over and over again in the first three chapters of Ephesians, this good news is hammered home by the Apostle Paul over and over again. He's saying, let me share with you the good news of the gospel. Let me unpack with you the good news of the gospel. Let me say again the good news of the gospel over and over again. He wants us to understand what has been offered to us through Christ. The offer is by grace through faith, there is salvation in Jesus Christ. It's not about what we've done. It's not about what we think we deserve. It's all about the finished work of Christ. The incredible gift of salvation that is made available through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. See, the word of God wants us to understand what we see in these first three chapters also is what we see all throughout the word of God. And that is simply this, that you and I bring nothing to this equation that causes us to be worthy of the love of God or worthy of the salvation of God. Not a single one of us deserve this love or this gift of salvation. Every single one of us has sin. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God and the standard of God in his law. And that's hard for us to hear. We want to believe that we can clean up our life and fix our life. We want to believe that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can get everything together and in order and and have control over our life and our own salvation. But the Bible says time and again, there is no way by the works of man, that man can be saved. There is no way by the works of man that you can deserve or earn this gift. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. It is a gift of God. It's not anything that you or I can do or have done. So there's no room for any of us to boast. This is a gift that comes through Christ alone. Three chapters over And over again, this good news is laid out. Why does the Apostle Paul take three chapters, half of this letter, to reiterate and restate the the same thing over and over again? Well, it's because the second half of the letter, what we're stepping into here in chapter 4, the second half of the letter is going to be instruction. It's going to be telling us how to live the Christian life. It's going to be telling us how to live our faith. And the Apostle Paul knows, because he has been divinely inspired by the Spirit of God, that whenever we start to talk about the things that a Christian should do, it's easy for people to lose sight of what's already been done. Anytime we talk about instructions and how we're called to live in the church of Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus Christ, there is this tendency for us to then believe, okay, I've got to do all these things so that I can earn God's love. I've got to do all these things so that I can keep God's love. I've got to do all these things so that I can be at a place where at the end of the day, God will accept me because of my performance. You may be one who believes that today. In fact, you may be here at the beginning of a new school year going, you know, this, this is a good time to get back to church. I've, I've seen that they're promoting. I've seen that they're uh, talking about the, the new classes and the new things going on. And this is a good time. I need to get back in to church so that I can be in the right spot so that, so that God will love me. And the scripture is saying over and over again, Ephesians 1 through 3 says over and over again, there is nothing that you can do to earn or deserve the love of God. 
But there is good news. It's not hopeless. In fact, there is tremendous hope called the gospel that by grace, through faith, you can be saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and through his resurrection. So as we talk about the, the things that the, the Christian life is to be about and the, 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 the life of faith that we are called to live in the church of Jesus Christ, please, please do not lose sight of what has already been done. Please do not lose sight of the incredible gift of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we are called to do in the word of God is always in light of what's been done. The work we are called to live is always in light of the work that has been finished through Jesus Christ at the cross. So with that in mind, we step into a transition here. Ephesians 4 is a transition. We've been, we've been looking in Ephesians 1 through 3. If you would read back through it, all that God has done in the good news of the gospel. And now Paul is saying, here is how you should live in light of what you have received if you are in Christ. I love the way Kent Hughes talks about this transition of Ephesians 4 in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, the message moves from theology to practicality, from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from the Christian's wealth to his walk, from exposition to exhortation, from the indicative to the imperative. All of that to say, as we step into Ephesians 4, everything we're about to see is in light of what has already been said in the good news of the gospel. It all hinges on that word, therefore. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, Paul is saying, in light of what you have received, in light of what Christ has given you, if by grace through faith you have been saved, in light of the power of God working in you through the Holy Spirit of God, in light of this new life that you have been given in the grace and mercy of Christ, you are called to walk a certain way, to live a certain way, to live in a manner worthy of this calling. Paul gives himself an identity here that we see throughout the letter to the church in Ephesus. He describes himself a certain way. And it's a very interesting way that he describes himself in Ephesians 4 verse 1. We see this also in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1. He says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. In Ephesians 3 verse 1, he says, I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, this is a very interesting way to describe yourself, especially if you're actually in jail. And Paul is actually in jail as he writes this letter. He is in a prison cell. He is in chains. And he describes himself not as a prisoner of Rome, not as somebody who's been wrongfully accused, not as somebody that's not supposed to be in this spot and I'll get out of it soon so I can go back to the things I'm supposed to be about. No, as a individual sitting in a jail cell, Paul says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, because of what I've received, because of the good news of the gospel, I belong to him. 
He has changed my life. He has saved my life. He has covered me in grace, and I belong to him. And here's what's amazing. Because I belong to him as a child of God, because I belong to him as a prisoner of the Lord, I am free. This is what's so amazing. I am free, and I am so free in Christ that jail is not a threat to my freedom. I am so free in Christ that changing circumstances are not a threat to my freedom. Some of y'all need to hear this this morning. Paul is saying the gospel is such good news and I have found such freedom in the good news of the gospel and the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sin and the grace of God and the new morning mercies that are lavished on my life every day. I am so free in the gospel that even when my circumstances change or things don't go the way I want them to go or I'm walking through a struggle, it's not a threat to my freedom. So yes, I'm sitting in a prison cell right now as I write this letter I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm actually a free man because I belong to Christ. My freedom is not threatened based on my changing circumstance. I literally belong to the one who has set me free and there is nothing that will take away the freedom that I have in the good news of the gospel. There is nothing that is a threat to the freedom that I have in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. I am a new creation. I am free. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. So I will stand firm in this freedom no matter what I experience in life. And that's why the Apostle Paul can say this amazing thing in his letter to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4. You may want to turn there real quickly. We'll go right back to Ephesians in a moment. But in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this beautiful testimony that the Apostle Paul gives. Remember a guy who is familiar with prison, a guy who has walked through tremendous suffering, a guy who has been persecuted for his faith, a guy who has faced all kinds of hardships, can make this statement in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, so we do not lose heart. That's an interesting statement for somebody who's struggling. So we do not lose heart, though the outer self is wasting away. How, how many of you know that the outer self is wasting away? You experienced it this morning, didn't you? Some of you rolled out of bed and you're like, oh man, the outer self. It's not what it used to be. Then you went and you looked in that mirror and you're like, oh wow, the outer self is not what it used to be. Let's cover that stuff up, yeah. The outer self is wasting away and you know, the, the truth of the matter is for all of us, it's not gonna get any better until, until we get to be with the Lord. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. The outer self is wasting away. I'm very aware, aware of the fact that my body's not what it used to be. My body's breaking down. Things in this world are not as they should be. This is a challenge. This is a struggle. But, listen to this, but because of the freedom I have as a prisoner of the Lord, because I belong to him as a child of God, because of what he has done for me by grace through faith in the gift of salvation, the inner self, it says, is being renewed day by day. This amazing gift. My body may be breaking down, but I'm actually growing because of the freedom that I have in Christ. I'm being renewed because of the gift that I have 
in the gospel. And then he says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. And I, I need your help with this next verse, okay? I need just your help for just a moment. He says, for the things that are seen are transient. Say transient. Transient. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Everybody say eternal. Eternal. We need to be reminded of this. The Apostle Paul is saying the things that are seen, the things of this world, the things of the outer self that are wasting away, they are transient. They are here today and they are gone tomorrow. They change in the blink of an eye. But the things that are unseen, the place I am putting my hope, Paul says, the finished work of Christ and the promise of things to come, that is eternal. So because of the freedom that I have in Christ as a prisoner of the Lord, and because of the good news that this freedom will never be taken away, but will only become more and more beautiful as I am renewed in the good news of the gospel and ultimately with the Lord for all of eternity. I'm not going to get worked up about the things of this world that keep changing and my circumstance that keeps changing. I'm not going to get worked up about the things in my life that catch me off guard, that I didn't plan for. I'm gonna be reminded in the freedom that I have in the gospel that God has promised me something so much greater than anything that this light and momentary transient life can offer. And I'm gonna center my life right there. And the freedom of Christ. Because since the Son has set me free, I am free indeed. And I want to live my life as a prisoner of the Lord, reflecting the freedom that I have in Christ. It's amazing. Amazing what Paul says of himself in light of the gospel. And it gives emphasis to what he's then laying before the church. He's saying, look, this is, this is what I have settled in my life. Because of the gospel as a prisoner of the Lord. And so I am, I am calling you, church, through the spirit of God, to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. To not lose sight of the calling to which you have been called. To not lose sight of the good news of the gospel, what has been done for you. And the good news of the gospel, what has been promised to you. Do not lose sight of the gospel. So what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called? Well, it is important that we distinguish that the calling of God certainly is a calling of salvation. It is a salvific call. It is an invitation to, to step out of darkness into light. It is an invitation for, for the dead to receive new life in Christ. It is an invitation for the lost to be found. It is an invitation for forgiveness of sin, for grace upon grace upon grace to be lavished out on sinners in need of a Savior. It is a salvific call. Well, please hear this. That's not all it is. It's not just a salvific call. Oftentimes we might conclude, some people do conclude, that there is a call 
to salvation, there's a call to follow Jesus. And then somewhere down the road, if you can get a little bit more mature and you can become a super Christian, then there's a call to a mission. But actually it's one call. It's the same call. It's a call to come and receive salvation. And it's a call to go and live the mission because of the salvation you've received. And it's a, it's a call that happens at the same time. Come and follow me, go and tell the good news. Come and follow me, go and live sent with the mission. That's the call of Jesus. And we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, which means we are reminded of this gift of salvation that we have received. And we are reminded that God has called his people to take the gift of salvation with us everywhere we go. To model the gift of salvation in how we live. To share the good news of the gospel in every place we find ourselves. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to the gift of salvation and you have been called to live sent with this good news, that is the mission, at the same time. Come and go. So how do we live this out? Ephesians 4.2 begins to tell us, and it's very interesting, the characteristics that Paul lists here because these are characteristics that we see the word of God used to describe Jesus Christ himself. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Every single one of these four characteristics that, that Paul is saying are to be characteristics of the church, characteristics of the followers of Christ. These are characteristics of Jesus himself. I love the way Jesus talks about humility and gentleness in Matthew 11. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, Jesus is the only person, please hear this. When we talk about humility specifically, Jesus is the only person in the history of the world who can say, I am humble, and it's actually true. And it remains true. My grandfather used to say that humility is the, the one thing that when you think you have it, that's when you've lost it. But for Jesus, when he says, I am humble, it is 100% true because Jesus is without sin. He's the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God. And as he comes in humility, he comes to show us the incredible gift of his mercy and his grace. He comes in gentleness to show us strength under control. He comes in patience to show us that he loves us even in the midst of our sin. We're seeing the characteristics of Jesus described in Ephesians 4 verse 2. And these are characteristics that are to be part of the Christian life, part of living the call. Why? Because those who are followers of Jesus, those who are rooted and grounded in the good news of the gospel, those who have a new identity as a child of God, who is a prisoner of the Lord, set free in the grace of God, 
are to reflect and emulate what we see in Jesus. We're to be a living testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done. There's a definition of gospel humility that I absolutely love because when I read this definition of gospel humility, I, I have a person that I can think of that this definition accurately describes. This definition comes from Pastor Timothy Keller in a, a little book that he wrote called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's one of the, the greatest little reads that I, I think has impacted my life in, in recent years. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, I would highly encourage it that you read it. But he writes this, gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. This is a very rare quality. And isn't it true that this is a quality that stands out in our world and in our culture that is so obsessed with drawing attention to ourselves? We have an entire industry that is dedicated to helping us draw attention to ourselves. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's tough to walk in humility we're always drawing attention to ourselves. When I see this definition that Keller lays out, I think about the finest Christian man that I've ever personally known. It's my grandfather, George Sr., who I'm named after. It's about three years ago that my granddaddy went to be with the Lord, lived an incredible life, a faithful life. Everywhere he went, he was a, a living example of the love of God through Jesus Christ. He shared his faith all the time. It was so authentic. It was so genuine. He loved people so well. And as I've been thinking about my granddaddy since he's been gone, there's one thing that I think of over and over again that, that caused him to be so contagious and people just wanted to be around him. When he walked into a room, he would light up the room. But it wasn't because he was drawing attention to himself. It's because he was putting attention on everybody else. And when you had the privilege of having a conversation with my granddaddy, you would walk away from that conversation feeling better about yourself. It's an incredible gift. Gospel humility. To not think about ourselves all the time, to not beat ourselves down and think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. To demonstrate that we really want to know the other, that we really want to listen and learn who someone is so that we can then show them the good news that we have in Christ. The Apostle Paul says, this is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, in humility and in gentleness. Then he says, in patience. Wouldn't it be great if you could just only have a little bit of whiteout for your Bible to just get rid of every section about patience? Wouldn't that be great? It's a joke, okay? We're not going to put whiteout in the Bible, people. Good night. That's heresy. What's in the word belongs in the word. But I'll just confess, patience is a virtue that I can struggle with. I know I'm not the only one. 
I've seen you drive around Birmingham on 65 and 280. You struggle with patience too. But here's the reality. The Apostle Paul says this about himself. He says, God demonstrated patience to me so that you could see how patient he is with you. This is an amazing thing to consider. This is part of Paul's testimony. We see it in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me read you what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul's saying, look, I, I was very far from God. Doing a lot of things that people who were close to God would say are very bad things. If you know anything about Paul's life before Christ, he was a persecutor of the church. He was not a good guy. Even though he was a moral man, he was not a good guy. He was not walking with God. He says, I was the foremost of sinners. But then he says, I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's saying, look, I, I want to be honest with you. I was really hard to love. I was the guy that church people would look at and go, we know he doesn't agree with anything we say. We know he's on the other side of every issue from us. He said, I'm the guy that church people would want to get rid of, stay away from, write off altogether. He says, God saved me by grace through faith. I have been saved. And part of the reason God saved me is so he could demonstrate to you how patient he is with sinners like me. This is an amazing thing to consider if we're struggling with patience. The scripture is showing us one of the greatest ways that we can grow in patience, especially if we're struggling to be patient with certain people that are hard to love or that are annoying or frustrating or disappointing or whatever the case may be. One of the greatest ways we can grow in patience is to be reminded of how patient God has been with us. It's easy to look at other people and go, man, you're hard to love, you're hard to be patient with, while we take our eyes off of how patient God has been with us. But when we are reminded of how patient God has been with a sinner like me, it helps us grow in patience and then it invites us to live as an example of patience with those who need to receive the patient love of God. This is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then Paul talks about the characteristic of love that Scripture shows us over and over again is the defining characteristic of who God is. First John tells us God is love. John 13, Jesus tells the disciples, the way the world will know you are my disciples is by your love for one another. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God is love. That's who he is. And that's what we're called to lead with as one who has been saved by grace through faith. As simple as these four words are, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, isn't it incredible to consider 
how much they stand out in a culture like ours? Isn't it amazing to consider what could happen if a group of people, the people of God, truly live these characteristics out, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel because of the gift we have received, the impact that could be made, the change that could be made in the world around us? This is what we see in Jesus. And then we'll land in verse 3 here this morning. Ephesians 4, 3 shows us a byproduct of these four characteristics being lived out among the people of God. It says this, when, when we live with humility and gentleness and patience and love, then we are eager to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, eager to be united in the good news of the gospel, in the bond of peace, eager to be a people who demonstrate the unity of God's grace and mercy, even among our differences. If we were to go around the room today and ask everybody to just say one word, just use one word to describe what we have seen in our culture for the last three years or so. There'd be a lot of different words that would get tossed out, I'm sure. But I would venture to guess there would be a word that would kind of rise to the top that more and more people would say as it relates to what we've seen in our culture. It would be the word divided. Division, maybe polarized, angry. Isn't that what we see in our culture all around us? Literally, it's like every single issue that comes up, it, it creates more and more division. How dare you say you like Pepsi more than Coca-Cola? I hate you. It's kind of what we've become, right? Every issue. There's division. Every issue, there's polarization. Every issue, there's anger. In light of that, isn't it amazing to consider how a group of people walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called, eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace, will stand out in this divided, polarized culture? Isn't that amazing to consider? The word of God is showing us how we as a church can, can live the calling. Showing us how we as a church can, can impact the world around us. Showing us how we as the people of God can, can actually be the light in the darkness. If we are eager to maintain unity and the bond of peace. If we are walking in humility and gentleness and patience and love. If we are reminded who we are in light of what has already been done. We will be the light of the world. And not only that will be the answer to the prayer that Jesus prays for his church in John 17. Many of you are familiar with this prayer. It's the prayer of Jesus right before he goes to the cross. And so we can only imagine the burden that he is feeling, knowing that the cross is right before him. Knowing what he's about to endure and the, the agony and the hostility, the pain that he will face at the cross. 
He pours out his heart to God the Father in this prayer in John 17. So we get to see what is most important to Jesus in this final hour, if you will. Here's what he prays, John 17, beginning verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. There's that mission that we've been called to. He says, for their sake I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Again, here's the mission. He says that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Jesus is saying, do you, church, do you want to know how to live the mission? Be united in the gospel above all things. Be united in what matters most above all things. The greatest evangelistic strategy that you can have, church, is to be united in the gospel as you live in the world around you. Jesus is saying, this is my heart for my people. This is my prayer for my people. That they would not get distracted by the things of this world that can so easily divide. That they would not nitpick one another over little differences of preference. That they would be one in the bond of peace that is the good news of the gospel. So are we an answer to the prayer of Jesus? Are we... Are we walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called? That, that's a personal, challenging question to consider. And at the same time, it's a beautiful corporate challenge for us to consider as a church. What can we do as a people of God right here in this context, in this local body, to more and more, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called so that more and more can see and hear and believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives living out what we have received. Let's have a word of prayer. And let's ask the Lord to guide us to walk in a manner worthy of this call. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that it is to gather in the name of Jesus and to have this opportunity collectively and at the same time individually to be challenged by your word, to be encouraged by your word, to prayerfully be equipped by your word, that we can live in line of what we have received. Father, we praise you for the good news of the gospel that does set us free. It does invite us to this beautiful calling. What a privilege it is to take this good news with us wherever we go. To be a people that you are using to demonstrate and communicate your love and your grace so that by grace, through faith, more can be saved. What an unbelievable gift. 
Father, we thank you for that privilege. And we pray that you'd show us what do we need to see so that we can more intentionally walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Father, as we close this message, I also pray for those who are among us or those who are joining us online who have, who have never received this good news of the gospel by grace through faith, trusting in the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is my prayer, Lord God, that some among us today who perhaps have known about Jesus or heard about Jesus or, or have been trying to earn their way to you by doing some good things or cleaning up their life or, or those who just realize, you know, I, I've tried a lot and I'm just broken and I just need some help and I just need some hope. Whoever they may be, I pray that today they would see this incredible gift that Jesus has made available to us by grace through faith that we can receive this gift of salvation, forgiveness of sin. And at the same time receive this beautiful invitation to be a part of the body of Christ, the, the mission of God that is the church to, to share this good news with the world. I pray that today there would be some who would trust in the name of Jesus and be saved. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your love. Thank you for inviting us to see and experience who you are. We pray that you guide us as we go to live out what we have received. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.